you've been with us for the past couple of weeks, you know we've been in Colossians, and today I'm going to close up uh, that series, and uh, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 4, uh, and we're going to specifically concentrate on verses 2 through 6, so if you would go ahead and turn there with me to Colossians chapter 4, chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Um, as we close up this particular series in Colossians, there's a reoccurring theme uh, that Paul is using and he's addressing the church at Colossae. And the church in Colossians, there's followers of Christ who are becoming more secular in their beliefs. As a matter of fact, they're becoming more Roman. Um, they started to kind of pull away from uh, the, their basic tenets of the Christian faith. And they started to become more secular in the way they believed and the way they did things. Um, and the, the less Christians they actually became. So the letter to Colossians was an attempt to straighten them out, so to speak. And so through the entire book, and as, as we have gone through this particular series, here's some things that we have covered uh, through, the, through this entire, the entire book. The priority of prayer, the supremacy of Christ, reconciliation, unity, accountability, and a righteous living is what we covered Last week, today, as we look at chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, from time to time in the life of the church, there needs to be a wake-up call. From time to time in the life of the church, there needs to be a wake-up call. And I think as we close this, chat, this, this book out, this letter out, one of the themes is that Christianity is a converting religion. It's evangelistic by nature. It's persuasive. It's missional. It grows it's never intended to stay within the walls and the confines of a building. Would we agree with that? And so Christianity is an expanding movement. It always has been. From time to time in church history, though, it has become inward. It doesn't expand, and it starts to decrease. And so what happens is God raises up people. It raises up evangelists. He raises up individuals, and he raises up groups to wake up the church. And I pray that we are possibly in that mode, but I'm fearful. As a youth pastor and as someone that has studied youth and the millennial generation, I am concerned. I am concerned that we are slipping back. And there's some good things to say about that. We're going to kind of pick up on some of those. So Christianity is a converted, it's evangelistic, it grows. It is not forced by the sword. It is not forced on people by manipulation or by brainwashing. We're not going to brainwash anybody here today. But it does proclaim, it does persuade, it does plead, and it does pray. And where this is not believed in practice, Christianity ceases to be Christianity, it becomes something else. And that's where they were in Colossians. And some may say that's where we are today. There's some research that are out there. You can look this up. If you want it, you can, you can email me. Um, but there's some research by, from the Pew Research Center. And by the way, some of these places you get all this research from, you, you, you kind of got to take it with a grain of salt because you don't know which way they're leaning. And so you got to read through some of the, the mess through it. But the, the name on this particular research paper is this. Is the American public becoming less religious? Is the American public becoming less religious? And the answer to that question, of course, they say yes. 
at least by some measures of what it means to be a religious person. And here's some of the things that they talked about. There is a group of people called the nuns. The nuns, N-O-N-E-S. They're not affiliated with a religious group. Matter of fact, when they're filling out an application or whatever, if it asks for what religion you believe in, they will pick none of the above. It is the fastest growing group in this country. It consists of 26% of the entire American population. And it's growing at a very fast pace. And so that's what this article basically is about. A growing share of Americans are religiously unaffiliated, including some who self-identify as atheists and agnostic, as well as many who describe themselves as nothing in particular. Altogether, the religious unaffiliated, also called the nuns, now account for 23% of the adult population. That's 36.1 million people in this country that identify themselves as nuns. They're not affiliated. Now, when I read this, I kind of get a little excited because here's what they've done. They've identified themselves. We ain't got to go looking for them. So strategically, I'm going, where are they at? I want to know where they hang out. Are are they going to start forming their own community centers? Because, man, I want to go there and start reaching out to those people. See, that is the premise of what Christianity is supposed to be like. We reach out, we pray, and we find ways to reach people. So for the first time, this, this article, for the first time in recent history, the number of Americans who consider themselves as Protestant has dropped below 50% for the first time in the history of this country. That happened in 2014. So this is a little behind. These reports should not surprise us, but they should alarm us. They should awaken us. They should tell us that we need to get straightened out and we need to start reaching people for Christ. So if you go through all this data, here's what basically it it kind of sums up. People that are unaffiliated with religion will most likely not wander into this church service by themselves. They're not going to drive by this building and go, man, look what a pretty building that is. I think I'm going to go to church this morning. They're not going to do that, especially the younger generation. They're just not going to do that. But here's what they will do. They are most likely to come to a church service like this if they're invited by someone that they know. As a matter of fact, there's an 85% chance that they will. They want someone to invite them to a church service because they're very open to learning. They're very open to getting to know what this stuff is all about. And so the, the, the opportunity is wide open to reach this generation, to reach the younger generation. And so they want to know who cares. We need to be reminded that Jesus is still in the business of saving people. We need to be reminded of that. Jesus is still in the business of saving that which is lost but he uses us. He uses those of us that are followers of Christ. And this is what we do. 
it's almost incredible how inactive and how engaged we, we can become while calling ourselves believers. Little by little, our whole direction can become inward. Even our programming can, can become inward. We do things that are inward that are for us. We do things that are Christian, and we do things that have these names that the general population don't even know what they are. And so we become dull, we become spiritually callous, that we don't even ask if we believe in prayer, the supremacy of Christ, reconciliation, and the basic commands of Jesus. And so often in church life, everybody has to pretend they're okay. Everybody comes in and we, we say amen at the right times, and we do our thing. And we leave. And we come back the next Sunday. So engaging people is something that we've got to do better at on an individual level. So my question to you this morning, are you engaging people? Do you want to rock the boat a little bit? Because that's what you've got to do to engage people. You've got to get in their face. You've got to get to know them. You've got to get in their space. So we often don't want to rock the boat or engage those that do not believe like we do. And this is what we'll say. It's not my cup of tea. I'm just, evangelism is not my thing. Sharing my faith is not my thing. It's not my cup of tea. I'm just going to, I just want to do my thing and I'm going to be okay. Well, here's a problem with that. The problem with that is the Bible that you probably are holding in your hand. There's the problem with that thought. And so, Colossians, chapter 4, verse 2 through 6. Y'all okay? Got real quiet in here all of a sudden. Verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in, the, in, in it with thanksgiving. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Here's three things I want to key on in this one verse. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Prayer is the foundation it is the rock of our faith. And if you ain't praying, it ain't happening. Amen? If you're not praying, it's not going to happen. And so it says we got to steadfastly. That means be persistent. It means be persistent when prayer. Prayer is, is not like your cell phone battery. Okay, prayer is not like your cell phone battery. The more you use your phone to talk on your phone, the power starts to drain and the percentage of the power starts to become less. When you're not using your phone, you have it usually plugged up, and guess what? The power goes up. The more you pray, the more power. The more you pray persistently, the more power. If you hang it up, no power. That's just kind of how it is. And so have you been praying for those people that, are not like you, that you hang out with, that you kind of rub shoulders with? Have you been praying for the lost? Have you been praying that in this service people would come and know Jesus? And by the way, if you're a guest here this morning, you have been prayed for. We don't make no mistake about it. We want you to be saved. We want you to be saved. So you've been prayed for this morning. Second thing we see is being watchful. We are to be watchful in prayer. That means that the enemy knows the danger and the importance of prayer. He doesn't want you to pray. 
Satan does not want you to pray. He has a goal. It's a three-point three goal. If you're a student, you've heard this from Sammy all the time. Kill, steal, destroy. That is his goal. And if he can keep the Christian off, his, off their knees, he knows that he's won that battle. Because prayer is the communication that we have with our Father. So if he can disrupt the communication lines, guess what? He's won the battle. So we wonder sometimes, I mean, why, is it thing, why isn't things working in my life? You ain't praying. You're probably not praying. You say, well, Brad, I, I am praying. It's just not getting past the ceiling. Well, you might want to evaluate. Repent. Get in your word. And find out what, what's going on in your life. You may be going through a trial so he can teach you some things. Just because bad things happen don't mean you've done some bad things. It just means that he may be going through a trial. So be watchful in prayer. Be persistent. Be watchful in prayer. And the last thing we see is with thanksgiving. In verse 2, with, with thanksgiving. We are to be thankful in prayer. When Paul says that our praying is to be done with thanksgiving, he means that we should keep our eyes on the victory that we've already had. We've won the battle. We just got to act like it and proclaim it. We've won the battle, so we need to be thankful. We don't fight as losers. We fight as victors. Some of us are walking around going, man, I just defeated. I just don't know what I'm going to do. And Jesus is continually calling on us to go after those which are lost. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear, hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and heal their land. Oh, I wish and I pray it would happen. When a follower of Jesus prays, stuff starts to happen. When a group of people get together and pray, stuff starts to happen. There's opportunities that, that take place in this church. 6.30 on Wednesdays, there's a prayer meeting that, that takes place. In the morning, it's Monday morning right here, 6 o'clock, a little early for me. There's a, there's a group of men that get together, and they pray. And let me tell you something. Stuff happens. Even in that group, stuff happens. Individually, are you praying? Are you, are you taking time to pray individually? Do you have a list of people that you're praying for? I call it my hit list. I've got people from my yearbook, 1994, that's still on that list. I'm praying for them. And then there's praying for them, then we've got to move to action. We've got to move to action. Verse 3. It says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ and account of which I am in prison. In other words, God will create opportunities for the gospel to be heard in response to prayer. You see how this works? So you, you pray and God opens up opportunities because of the prayer. 
And so my question is, are you been praying? Have you been praying for those? Have you been praying for opportunities? I mean, I pray for opportunities all the time. If you hang out with me long enough, you'll find out really quick. I mean, there's, there's just some weird things that happen when you hang out with me. People will just show up for some reason, knock on my door. It's not because I'm special. It's not because I'm ordained and a minister of the gospel. Because there's something about prayer. We've got to pray. Doors will open when God's people pray. It's an illustration when while crossing the Atlantic on an ocean liner, F.B. Meyer was an evangelist. He was asked to address the first-class passengers. At the captain's request, he spoke on answered prayer. An agnostic who was present at the service was asked by his friends, what did you think of Meyer's sermon? And he answers, I don't believe a word of it. That afternoon, Meyer went to speak to the fourth-class passengers. Many of the listeners at his morning address went along with him, including the agnostic who claimed he just wanted to hear what the Bible had to say. Before starting the service, the agnostic put two oranges in his pocket. On his way, he passed an elderly woman sitting in her chair, and she was fast asleep. Her hands were open. In the spirit of fun, the agnostic put two oranges in her outreached palms. After the meeting, he saw the old lady happily eating one of the pieces of the fruit. And he walked up to her and he said this. You seem to be enjoying that orange, he remarked with a smile. Yes, sir, she replied. My father is very good to me. He said, your father? Surely your father still can't be alive. Praise God, she replied. He's very much alive. And he pressed. What do you mean? She explained, I'll tell you, sir, I have been seasick for days, and I was praying and asking God somehow to send me an orange. I suppose I fell asleep while I was praying. When I woke, I found he had not only given me one orange, but two. The agnostic man was speechless. He later came to Christ. So reaching your family, your neighbor's, People at work, your people, your friends at school, all hinges on whether or not you've been praying for them. Have you been praying? Verse 4, very short, short verse here. Verse 4 says, that I make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. That I make it clear how I ought to speak. This is a concern almost everybody has ever tried to witness to someone and share their faith, speaking clearly. And here's what I got to say about speaking clearly. It comes along with prayer. A very good friend of mine often said, Brad, how long have you prepared for your sermon? And, I, and the guy's like, I'm going to be honest with you. you ask my wife, I spend hours. I have to. She's not that smart. So I have to spend hours and hours and hours in preparation. And then he asked me this, because he knew how many hours I had spent. Did you spend as much time praying as you prepared? And I went. Taught me a lesson. And so this is what I do. As I prepare, I, 
as I prepare, I pray. So as I'm preparing, I'm praying over the verses. I'm praying over the people. I'm praying over the thoughts that I have. Lord, what about this right here? How am I going to share this right here? Guys, it's the same thing as when you encounter someone individually. If you pray enough, you won't have to prepare. And guess what? I'm getting ahead of myself here. If you share Christ enough with people, you also won't have to prepare for that either because it becomes part of your life. It becomes what you do because that's what believers are supposed to do. So preach. This is what someone told me, Scott Dawson, a really good friend of mine, told me this recently. He said, preach like it's your child's last time they will hear the gospel. Preach like it's your child's last time they will hear the gospel. Verse four, that I make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Verse five, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. And this is kind of be the, the main topic of what we're gonna really hit on here. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best of the time. He's saying, since you and I are going to engage those who do not believe like we do, we do not walk like fools. We walk in wisdom. We walk in wisdom toward outsiders. This verse means that we are to have some kind of dialogue with people that don't believe like we believe. Colossians 3.16 says this, you don't have to turn there. It says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another. Wisdom comes from letting the word of Christ dwell richly within you. So you may ask the question, where do you get wisdom? God's word. So there's prayer, and now there's studying God's word. This is basic Christianity. There's prayer, and they're studying God's word. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. The Christian life really comes down to this. Prayer and extended meditation on the word of God. And with that comes evangelism. With that becomes getting out. Because guess what? You can't keep this inside. If you've got a good dose of what most of us in here got, you can't keep it to yourself very long. You'll bust And so if it's commonplace for you to not share Christ, there's a problem. There's a problem. There needs to be a wake-up call. Verses 3 and 4, Paul pleads in prayer and shows us that doors will open and resources rise in answered prayers. Verse 4, he says that, we walk in wisdom toward outsiders. The goal is to win their souls. So are you asking the Lord to open doors? Family doors. Doors at work. Are you letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly? And you start to think the way he thinks. 
and you start to respond to in a situation because you've pondered his reactions on what he would do, what Jesus would do. And let me just say this about people that this verse calls outsiders. You know who they're talking about? They're talking about people that don't look like you and I. They don't act like we do. They're talking about people that are the nuns. They have no religious affiliation. They're talking about lost people that don't know Jesus. And so when you start to engage your life and you start to reach out to people like that, guess what happens? Your friends change. The people you hang out with, it looks different. Your lunch you have with people looks different. People that you gather around, they look different. I went to lunch with a friend of mine. He's an evangelist and... um, we're setting at Ruby Tuesdays. And a group of guys walked in. I recognized them. And they were friends. And I walked over there and started talking with them. And I went back and sat down. He goes, Who in the world were those folks? I went, Well, they're just, they're friends. Went to school with some of them. Oh, okay. And it just kind of dawned on me. I'm like, you know, I wonder if I'm going to invite them over here. I said, what would you think if I invite them over here to eat with with us? Who do you think they will? I said, yeah, probably so. Maybe. I don't know. And so just engaging people. That was an opportunity. And so we need to seize those opportunities. Verse 6 says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Your mouth reveals something about your heart. It does. When you're squeezed, when, you put, when, you, when you're pressured, what comes out of your mouth? Because that says something about your heart. Here's my question. Does your mouth reveal that you walk in anger and contempt? toward others are you constantly pointing out what's wrong with everyone and everything around you completely unaware of what's wrong with you do your friends that you have turn over on a consistent basis do you have friends and 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 i'm not asking if you if you know people because you knowing people and having friends are two different things do you have a contemptuous heart do you always, are you always critical and complaining? And remember, you don't never see statues and awards given out to people that complain and criticize people all the time. You just don't. And so if that's you, according to verse 6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So let me just sum this up for you. If you're hateful, you're probably going to reach anybody for Jesus. It's probably not going to happen. 
And if you, if you call yourself a believer and you're in contempt and you're always complaining and you're hateful all the time, there's a big question of, of, of what's in your heart. Just being real today. That's just, that's just who I am. Students, you know. Those of you that this is your, maybe your first time hearing me, if you have any complaints, btollison at bethelnet.com. Season with salt. What does that mean? Most of us in this room have probably ate a lot of food this week. Now, I've got to be real careful here because I've got my in-laws over here, got my aunt sitting right here, and my wife over here. I've ate at all three of their places this week. And the food was awesome, y'all. Man, it was good. But there are some times when you get a hold of some food that just ain't seasoned. You know what I'm talking about? And what do you say? Where is the salt? Where is the salt? If it's bland, and let me just say this, I hate, hate's a strong word, dislike green beans that don't have any flavor. Because if you don't put anything in them green beans, there's just something wrong. So guess what? If there's green beans, I'm going to salt them things if they're bland. That's just what we do. If, if food is bland, we salt it. It's the same thing with our words. You say, but how does that work? How, how, do, you, how do you figure that? Well, here's the thing. Our speech about Jesus is not supposed to be boring and bland. John Phillips, an evangelist friend of mine, I asked him before he passed away, I asked him, I said, John, what is the main thing that you think is missing in the pulpit among Christians today. You know what he said? I thought he was going to say something like theology. That's just missing. No. This is what he said. It's a sin when people bore other people with God's word. He said, we need to be excited about what Jesus has done in our life. He said, there's way too many people that are walking out acting like they were never lost once before. And so, so when you talk to people, season them with salt. Your words need to be something that is powerful to them. Not contemptuous, not rude, not talking others down. And by the way, if you're in a group of people and, you leave, and, that, and someone leaves the room and they start talking about them, correct it. There's been people I've been hanging out with that I'm like, man, I'm afraid to leave the room. Because they just tore him down. I'm going to hang out for a while. So if I'm, if I'm in the room with you and I hang out till late, you might go, what, what are you doing, Brad? I'm afraid to leave the room. When people can see and hear the excitement you have about Jesus in your life, they may ask you to pass the salt. Pass the salt. Is there evidence of God's grace in your life? that you understand that grace and mercy of God? Are you extending forgiveness because you've been forgiven? Are you extending mercy because you've been extended mercy? Do you have the ability to be gracious because you've been treated graciously by God? Because we all deserve death. We all deserve death. But he's given us life. So seasoned with salt means you have joy because you were once lost, but you've been found. The last part of this verse, and we're going to close this down. 
so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. The problem at the end of the day with sharing the gospel individually with people is that there's no one that is the same. Everybody's different. If everybody was the same, it'd be pretty easy to share your faith. Because guess what? Everybody's the same. They have different worldviews. They have different things and ideas about what the church is about. They have different ideas about what, who Christ is. And so you have to have different angles about how you approach folks. You just do. I'll never forget, there's a place downtown Birmingham when I worked downtown. One of those pita stop places. I love Mediterranean food, by the way. So if you guys ever want to give me a gift card... Anyway, there's a place downtown, one of those pita places. And um, I got to know some of the people that worked there. And uh, they were from Lebanon. And they were Middle Eastern Lebanese. And um, the guy I was working with, my partner, um, said, you know, I wonder if they're, I wonder if they're, they're, they're Muslim. I said, I, I, probably so. And I said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to form a relationship with these folks. And I'm going to start praying. I'm going to share the cross with them. And so I had the day marked out. And Richard, they still talk about this, my partner. They still talk about this to this, to this day. And I had it marked out when I was going to go. And I went uh, by myself, and I'm sitting there, and um, I start conversation with uh, the owner of the business, the restaurant. And as I'm talking with him, he catches something. And this is what he says. He says, do you think we're Muslim? I went, well, gosh. Yeah. And he stopped and he kind of grinned and goes, they starts talking in their language to the cooks and the waitresses. And there's people, places packed. I went, I am in big trouble. And they all kind of, they all, they all smiled and they kind of laughed. And he goes, we're Christians. I went, you're kidding. <laughs> he goes, no. He says, we're believers. And he says, you've given me joy today. Lunch is on us. Because you have shared Christ. Lunch is on us. You're a brother. I said, thank you so much. And then he starts sharing the story of where he's from. He's from Lebanon. I didn't know this, but Lebanon used to be a Christian nation. Radical Islam came in and started destroying the place. He said, we had to leave. We were chased. Some of my family members were killed. One of the cooks, probably still there, his fingers are cut off. And he looked at me and he goes, this is what Sharia law does. And he says, you know, Brad, Christianity has an opportunity to grow, vastly grow. But it's going to take more people sharing Christ with those of us that look different. Oh, church, we've got to get outside of our religion we got to get outside of ourselves and realize the opportunity that we have in this nation. 
Don't let it slip away. Don't let it slip away. Acts 17, we're going to close with this. From one man he made all, all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. So your job, your neighborhood, your hobby, those people that you meet on your kid's team, the scriptures are saying that God has uniquely placed you in that place so that people might see him, so that people might see him and find him because he's not far off. And you may ask, well, how is he not far off? Because you're there. We carry the banner of reconciliation, ladies and gentlemen. There is no plan B. We're it. So my question to you this morning is, are you praying for opportunities? Are you speaking wisdom by letting your mouth be gracious and seasoned with salt by knowing and knowing who Jesus is? and looking for opportunities by genuinely caring for those that are lost. Maybe you're here this morning and you've grown up in this place. And you look back and you say, you know, Brad, I haven't really shared Christ like I should. Man, there's an opportunity for you. Maybe you're here this morning and you're a guest. Someone invited you here. Probably because they care. Probably because they love you. And they wanted you to hear the gospel this morning. And here's the gospel. Christ died for you. We were born sinners. He died for you. Romans 10 9 says that if you confess with your mouth, Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that Christ raised him from the dead, it says you will be saved. Romans 10, 13 says this. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So how about you? Sir, ma'am, how about you? Do you know Jesus? Call upon him today. Call upon him today. Let's pray.